0: Like many of you, I have fond memories of Dana. I remember meeting her when she and Rodney first came to Calvary. She had not yet escaped the clutches of her addiction to over-the-counter opioids. And though she was attempting to help other addicts overcome and restore their lives, hers was still in disarray. Her husband, on the other hand, had recently come to know Jesus given his life to him, and was growing and changing. And when it was time for me to go and talk to Rodney about the possibility of him being baptized, I set an appointment to meet with him in their home. And I remember that evening as if it were yesterday. And Rodney remembers that evening as if it were yesterday. And until a few days ago, um, here on earth anyway, Dana was still talking about that day. The three of us sat in her living room, Robert was just a little boy at the time, and uh, he was probably there. And your little yappy dog Dallas, too, <laughs> who loved to sing as, you know, whatever we sang in the house. I explained to Dana that I had come to speak with Rodney about his baptism, but first I wanted to talk with her. And she was a little taken aback by that, but I assured her I only had a couple of questions, and they would be easy to answer. My first question was this, Dana, do you believe... That you're a good person? And she very emphatically said, Oh, no, no. I'm not, didn't she? I'm not a good person. Uh, in fact, here's what she said. I said, why, why would you say that? She said, Because I'm bad. I'm bad. I'm, I'm, Pastor, I'm just bad. I've been an addict to drugs. I've smoked cigarettes, been divorced. I've cheated. I've lied. I've tried virtually every Protestant religion known in the United States and not one of them has stuck and it's not their fault It's mine. I'm, I'm just bad. Seriously, she said. I'm really bad And so I said well, can I ask you another question and she said yeah I said if if you were to die today and God were to say why should I let you into my heaven? She thought for a second and said well, I've been good I've been pretty good Um. I mean, I love my husband. I've never murdered anyone. I'm, I'm pretty good. And then she looked at me rather sheepishly. She probably saw the expression on my face, and she said, that doesn't work, does it? <laughs> I had the privilege that night to share with Dana the gospel of Jesus Christ. I showed her in the Bible how Jesus came for two purposes. Number one, he came to perfectly fulfill the righteous requirement of God's law which Adam failed to do, and every person among us fails to do. And secondly, he came to pay the price for breaking God's law. He came to fulfill it, and then be punished for not filling it, as if he had failed to fill it, though he fulfilled it all. And he did it for us. He fulfilled all righteousness for us, and he paid the debt of our sin for us. And I showed her in the Bible that believing in Jesus doesn't merely mean that you believe that he was a real man who lived a real life. He healed the sick, he raised the dead, and he died on the cross. Rather, believing in Jesus means believing he did all of that for you. And now, what he requires is that we abandon the myth of our own righteousness. We repent not only of our sin, but of our righteousness, because we have none. And we confess from the heart that our only hope is that God, in his infinite mercy, might reckon Jesus' righteousness and his bloody death to our account, so that we might be saved. Perhaps I didn't say it with such passion, but that was the topic of the evening Here's the way the Apostle Paul said it. God made him who knew no sin, it's Jesus, to be sin on our account that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, on the cross, God treated Jesus as if he lived my wicked, rebellious life. And he did that so that he could treat me As if I had lived Jesus' perfect and holy life. And you may ask after hearing this, then why don't more people fly to God for this incredible gift? I mean, it seems so easy. It seems so appealing. The answer? The reason that people don't run to it is because in order to receive it, you have to humble yourself like a little child and admit that the only thing you have to offer God is your sin. And the only hope of salvation is his mercy. That's what it means to trust in Jesus. It means you come to him who is one who is spiritually bankrupt, who desperately needs Jesus to pay all of your debts, all of the debts you owe to God because of sin. And when you do, he gets all the glory, and you get all the joy forever. And a personal relationship with him That begins changing you. His righteousness wrapped around you begins bearing fruit in you. And you change. I'll never forget Dana's face when she heard these truths. Her eyes welled up with tears and she began to pray. You remember this, Rodney? She began to pray. Something like this. Oh God, I have nothing to offer you. I've been a rebel rebel against you my whole life and I, I don't deserve your forgiveness. But you are my only hope. And all I can ask is, will you forgive me? Will you wash my heart clean? Will you accept me as your own? I believe Jesus did all of these things for me. Take my life, O Lord, and do with it whatever you please. Something amazing happened to Dana Lodger that day. No, she didn't stop being a sinner. I worked with her in the office for 17 years, and I know. (laughs) There's one funny illustration of that. One day we were having an important meeting, and Dana was pulling everything together for us, as she always did, and uh, she's really creative, and she was tired of putting the staple in the left-hand corner, and so she put it in the right-hand corner. And uh, unbeknownst to her, when you do that, the whole document is backwards (laughs) and impossible to follow. And my administrator went to her and, and said, hey Dana, just, just wanted to let you know, the staple goes in the left-hand corner. And somebody else from the meeting came in and said, hey Dana, did you mean to put the staple in the right-hand corner? It's supposed to be in the left. And I went up to her and I said, Dana? And she said, what, when did people start doing that? You want it in the left-hand corner? Just tell me. <laughs> As if this were new, this was a change. The world was changing, we're going left corner. But immediately she found within her heart a love for Christ she had never known. A love for Christ that she had never known. And by the way, that's why she wanted to go to heaven. Pearly Gates, she never talked about that. Streets of Gold, she never talked about that. She wanted to see Jesus. And She found within her heart a love for God's word and God's people and she began to change by the power of God's spirit. She gave up drugs. Amazingly. She gave up cigarettes, some of you would say, even more amazingly. And she stayed clean for the rest of her life. How does that happen? It's not just willpower, it's change, it's real, heart change. If Dana were here today, she would insist on my telling you these things. In fact, while she was alive, she insisted that I would tell you these things. Moreover, a few days ago, Rodney, on Sunday morning, he called me before church began here, and he said, hey, I was digging through one of her boxes and um, found this letter sealed, the front of it said something like, if if I die, please read this to my family, written in 2006 as she was going in for surgery. And um, Rodney was telling me this and described the letter a little bit, and I'm writing this message for you today. And I said, Rodney, brother, you're just making my job easy with this letter. And he, in Rodney's inimitable style, he said, No, brother, your secretary is just still doing your work for you. (laughs) Here's her letter. To my beloved family and friends, if you're reading this, I have passed onto a glorious reunion with my Savior. Hallelujah. She liked that word in the office. I used to call her Dana Lou <laughs> because she was so southern and, and she was so in love with Jesus, I started calling her Dana, Dana Luya. <laughs> she writes, Don't worry about me. I'm dancing and singing praises to him right now. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, then make sure that every day that you are here on earth, you wake up praising his name and thanking him for all of his goodness and mercy and grace that he has given you. It's so difficult to stay focused on this truth, she says. Our world is so inundated with sex and drugs and cruelness to one another and so so much more. I've always struggled to be what he wants me to be, I ask for forgiveness from you, against whom I may have acted in unbelief, saying ugly things about you or other people or not being godly in the way that he would have me be. Second, if you don't know the Savior, give your life give yourself a break and seek him. Ask someone you know who does know him, and they will show you his word. Pastor Dan, she writes, was gracious to me. It was eight years ago that he came to our home. By the way, I didn't know what she was saying when I wrote this message about going to her home, and here she is talking about it. It was eight years ago he came to our door, our home, and in our living room asked me some very important questions and showed me in scripture where the answers were. And so, my beloved family and friends, the reason I'm writing this now is because I'm a coward. I wanted to be liked, and I didn't want to offend you by asking you questions like these. I pray now that the Lord would forgive me for not being more bold. And I especially pray that you would seek him now. Well, she did become bold when she realized she was dying. She continues. once. Once I became a believer and regularly attended church and Sunday school, his purpose in my life became clearer and clearer. We just lost grandmother. I pray that I will see her soon and mom as well. And since the loss of these great women rocks in our family, I have thought more and more and prayed more and more for our family's salvation. I hope you will consider learning more about him his word tells us, seek him first. I'm about to go on, undergo another surgery, I pray. I come through it okay, but if not, I have left this note to let you know how I feel. I love you all greatly, and I appreciate all you have done for me. Forever in his service, Dana. Makes me wanna go home and write a letter to my family. I suspect some of you may be thinking, I'm I'm just not sure I believe in God or in heaven or these promises. And I get that. I understand that. The kind of world that we live in where the truth of God is suppressed and ridiculed as much as it is in America these days. It's probably harder to believe these things than it's ever been. But consider this, Joseph Bailey, a man who did a lot of thinking about heaven because three of his young children went there while Joe was a young father. He put it this way in his book, A View from a Hearse*: He writes, I cannot prove the existence of heaven. I can accept it by faith on the authority of Jesus Christ, for he says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. For that matter, Bailey writes, If I were a twin in the womb, I doubt that I could prove the existence of Earth to my mate. He would probably object that the idea of an Earth beyond the womb was ridiculous, that the womb was the only Earth we'd ever known. If I tried to explain that Earthlings live in a greatly expanded environment and breathe air, he'd be more skeptical. After all, a fetus lives in water. Who could imagine it being able to live in a universe full of air? To him, such a transition would seem impossible. It would take birth to prove the existence of Earth to a fetus. A little pain, a dark tunnel, a gasp of air, and then the wide, wide world. Green grass, grandma's laps, lakes, oceans, horses. Could there be in the mind of a fetus, a horse, and with enough room that you don't have to shove and push the universe around. On January 25th, when Dana Delosier passed through that dark tunnel of death into the blinding light of the glory of God, she found far more than a mere universe beyond. And what she is now experiencing makes the dark, watery womb a fitting picture of our earthly existence. She has gone from black and white to color, to polychrome, to textured, pungent, sensual existence of all of unfolding before her in heaven where each chapter is as wonderful and more so than the last. How do we know heaven is real? Heaven is real because God is real. And you know he is real. You say, I'm an atheist. Let me just tell you, God doesn't believe in atheists. He created you. He put within your soul an understanding that there is a God. You have to suppress it to say that you don't believe it. You know there is a God just as surely as a Canadian goose knows that there is a South that he must go to in the winter. Heaven is real. And in this sense, Dana is more real than she's ever been. Because as the Apostle Paul wrote, we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And I suspect Dana would would not really come back to this world if she had the option, except to tell us what is real and to urge us, as she has in her letter, to make knowing Jesus Christ the focus of our lives. Why? Because knowing Jesus Christ was the blazing center around around which all the other priorities of her life found their proper orbit. This is what gave Dana's life purpose and meaning and hope and unquenchable joy. And this is what will give you hope and joy Those of you who visited Dana in the hospital and at her home over these past 16, 18 months, did you not see the peace in her eyes? Did you not see her hope? Did you not hear her sing? Did you not listen to her pray? How do we explain this in the face of death? Some will say, well, it came from her faith. Well, that is true, but it's only half correct. It's good to have faith. But the question is, what is your faith attached to? Upon what is your faith anchored? Faith, faith isn't an anchor. Faith is more like a rope. It's a rope that is used to, to, uh, to tie a boat in a storm-cast sea. If it isn't tied to something big enough and weighty enough to secure it, then then the rope has no purpose and is no help. And so what is the Delosier family's rope of faith tied to? What is your faith tied to? People say, I believe. What do you believe in? I just have faith. So you have faith in faith. You believe in faith. You have a rope, and you believe in the rope. What is your rope tied to? Rodney would tell you, That his family is tied securely to the massive, weighty, unshakable Gibraltar of an anchor called Jesus Christ. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. What made Dana Delozier unique in this world is that she believed this with all of her heart, and it absolutely changed her life. The promise of the gospel is not that God will fix your broken marriage or that God will fill your bank account or God will restore you to perfect health. The gospel message is this, that God will forgive every sin you've ever committed and bring you into proper relationship with Jesus Christ for which you were designed and brought into this world. And he would change you from the inside out by the power of his grace. And then one day, perhaps one very unexpected day, take you home to live with him forever. Is that your hope? Is that what your faith is anchored to? You know, when the doctors talked about her condition, they knew that as long as the cancer was alive, Dana would eventually die. Well, Rodney would want me to emphatically tell you today, the cancer is dead but Dana is alive. And she's alive in the presence of God because the life of Jesus Christ is infinitely greater than the power of death. You know, funerals are good for us. They force us to stop and consider the brevity of life. They plead with us to take stock of our lives, to be honest with ourselves about eternal things and our relationships with God. And in... In a sense, Solomon was right when he wrote these words. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of mirth. It's better to go to a funeral than to a party. You know why? Because nobody's life gets transformed at a party, not in a positive way. Nobody thinks deeply about eternal things at a party. But when you come to the house of mourning, to the funeral, to a funeral of of a beloved friend, it startles you. It shakes away the myth of security. And it shows us how fragile we are and how desperately we need something greater than us. We need Christ. And so I'm glad you decided to come to a funeral today. And I'm especially glad that you decided to go to Dana's funeral. And I hope you've been challenged to consider what your hope is anchored to. Is it the fleeting promises of health, pleasure, reputation, power wealth career relationship those things are all good but they make terrible gods or is your life anchored by faith to the unshakable rock that dana clung to with all the power of the spirit in her whose name is jesus christ let's pray And Lord, who is worthy of these things? They are too high. They are too wonderful for us to fully grasp, and yet simple enough that a child can grasp it. I pray, Father, that you would, by your spirit, give many in this room today the capacity, perhaps for the first time, to see themselves for who they really are, and to desire nothing greater today than to know Jesus and to be transformed by him and to be reconciled to God through him. Oh, Father, give, give Dana's hope and wish reality and bring it to pass, not for her sake, but for the glory of God and the joy of those who trust Christ. And we pray these things in the name of our Savior Jesus.